finishing up a message series this morning entitled Jonah and the Great City. So open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. If your exposure to Jonah has always been only uh, the story of the fish that you got in Sunday school, then I bet your mind is somewhat blown by uh, what happens in the rest of this book because it's just so crazy and good. Jonah chapter 4 is amazing. This is the end of the book, and let's finish up the story today. Uh, We're going to jump right into Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Remember what just happened in Jonah chapter 3? Uh, We had a guest last week, so I preached this two weeks ago. Do you remember that Jonah preached at Nineveh? Um, And was it a success? Yes, yes. Every man, woman, boy and girl, every dog, chicken, you know, pet snake was dressed in sackcloth and fasting and repentance. I mean, literally, it's beautiful revival. It was all good. One of the most amazing uh, evangelistic crusades in all of human history, one of the greatest revivals in all of human history. And uh, when God sees that the people of Nineveh have turned away from their wicked ways and have repented of their sins, what does God do? He changes his mind. He does no longer plans to bring destruction upon Nineveh. So that's all good, right? I mean, angels in heaven are rejoicing, right? Yes, that's also good to everybody except one person. Jonah, yeah, it flies straight up his nose, y'all. Let's read it together. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And that's just a lovely prayer, you guys, just a lovely prayer. Thank you for that, Jonah. Remember how he prayed in the belly of the whale, that beautiful prayer? Oh, Lord, you know, I was sinking. And I mean, and then now this, you know, kill me, just kill me now. Um, the Lord replies, I love this. The Lord hears like a therapist or like that really calm mother at Target whose kid's throwing a tantrum in the floor and she just stays calm. The Lord says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Isn't that good? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This east is discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Notice how quickly, he, 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 you know, he, he needs medication. How quickly, how very quickly he's happy again. Verse 7, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his hard head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. See what I mean? Like he is suicidal again. I mean, just that swing is amazing. Death is better. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because of the plant? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. But then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's where it ends. Man, what is this dude's problem? What is his problem? 
Of all people, he should be so thrilled with what God has done, with, with, with what is happening. I mean, his message was heard and received by every single person. I mean, angels in heaven are rejoicing over all of these people that will not be destroyed, but then Jonah is mad as the devil. I don't understand that, but there are probably two things we need to remember. First off, he hates these people. He hates these people. He hates the Assyrians, and we're talking about the Assyrian Empire. The Jews hated it, you know, the Assyrians especially, but this is an enemy nation, and Jonah hates them. Jonah mostly loves people like him. He loves Jewish people like himself. He doesn't love the world. He doesn't love other people. When Jonah was back in the king's court as the prophet of the king and he could prophesy the destruction of people like this, he did so with happiness. And, and when God caused him to go and get involved, this is why he runs. He hates these people. Now, let's just stop right there. If, if the good news that God loves all the people you hate, you know, causes problems for you, then you've got problems. I mean, you understand? I mean, I mean, God is not like you. God loves the world. And though you and I can be very, very discriminating as to whom we choose to love and whom we don't choose to love, understand God loves the world. He, he loves everybody. He loves all the people you hate. He loves all the people you have a hard time with. I mean, he loves everybody. And if that good news doesn't sound like good news to you, then I'm telling you, you've got a problem. And Jonah has that problem. He's, he's racist. He, he hates those people. And so good news for Nineveh automatically sounds like bad news to Jonah. He hates those people. But second, understand, Jonah's an Old Testament prophet. And in the Old Testament, there's pretty much one way that you could tell if a prophet was genuine. And what is that? One way. Surefire, every time, works every time. How do you know if a prophet's true or if a prophet's false? If what he says comes to pass, if what he says comes true, then he's a real prophet. If he steps out and says, this is what the Lord says, in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed, and, and in 40 days Nineveh is destroyed, then everybody knows that that man's a prophet. But if he steps out and says, in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed, but meanwhile God changes his mind, that's not going to look good for him. It's not going to look good for him. He's not going to look like a true prophet. God, in his mercy and compassion, has changed his mind. But Jonah can't go take the sermon back. So Jonah is upset. This is what he says. Notice in verse 3, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. This looks bad for him. Looks bad for him. So understand, Jonah's happiness is always connected to Jonah getting Jonah's way. And when Jonah doesn't get his way, then understand, Jonah can't be happy. So Jonah is mad, and Jonah takes it to the Lord. As I said, early on when he prayed in the belly of the whale, man, his prayer was beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful. But now this is just nasty, ugly praying. I mean, I agree that if this is how you feel, this is how you pray. But, but understand, Jonah, now, um, everything's backwards about this prayer. Didn't I say before I left home, you do this, Lord? Do what? Like, like forgive people. That's why I ran away. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, you know, filled with unfailing love. I mean, He's saying it like these are bad things. You're eager to turn away back from destroying people, so just kill me now. I mean, you know, like everything he says is like, a, like he's literally quoting scripture. 
That's from the book of Exodus, that God is a God, merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. I mean, that's straight out of the Old Testament. He's quoting scripture at God, but when he says it, he's trying to make it sound like something bad. You're a God all full of love. I knew you'd be full of love. I should have stayed at home. Kill me. Just kill me. If you weren't so slow in killing people, you'd kill me. You know? It's like this lady I was talking to one day who was talking about this other lady. And uh, she said, I can't stand her. She's so nice all the time. She's all the time being happy and smiling. I can't stand her. It's, it's just like, I mean, typically in the world we live in, you know, happiness and smiling and niceness to everybody, that's a good thing, right? But when she said it, it's, you know, it's, it's like, whoo. You know? And when Jonah says this, should have stayed at home. I knew you'd be forgiven. I knew you'd forgive them. All full of mercy and compassion. Slow to kill people, just kill me. I should have stayed at home. Isn't that just amazing how, how backwards he is now, how sideways he is? God is amazing. The Lord replies, now understand, if at any moment God asks a question, this is the Harris rule of biblical interpretation, if in reading scripture you run across a question that God asks, God doesn't ask questions because there's something he doesn't know. Understand? It's a Harris rule of biblical interpretation right there. When God asks a question, it's not because there's something he doesn't know. So God just simply says, is it right for you to be angry about this? So calm. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Ever been angry at God? You ever been mad at God? As, as pastor, I, I, I guess it's one of the things I hear most often uh, and I understand, we get angry at God. We all get mad at God at some point. And, um, and if I had been through what some of you have been through, I'm sure I'd be, you know, t- triple angry. I mean, I-, I understand that feeling of being angry at God. Um, however, t- just to make this simple for you, um, let me just say one thing. Uh, whenever you find yourself in disagreement with God, it, it will help you to remember that he's never wrong. He's never wrong. And I'm just telling you this, this will help you because when you remember that, then, then it's, it's easier to get to a resolution of the problem when you begin to understand where the problem is. And the problem's never going to be that God doesn't understand or that God has done something that, that, that was not good. I mean, understand, God is never going to be wrong. So, so when you find yourself angry with God, when you find yourself sideways with God, you need to understand it's never going to be God who needs to align himself with you. It's always going to be you that needs to realign yourself with God. So Jonah is mad at God, mad as he can be. I mean, just, I mean, just kill me. He says, just kill me. He is absolutely that angry. It, it is not God It's not God who is wrong here, but Jonah is not about to recognize that because Jonah would rather be dead than wrong. You understand? So the Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah goes out to the east side of the city. No, no, watch this. Jonah now doesn't answer God's question. Jonah is no longer speaking with God. He's angry, right? So he goes off. He finds a place up on a hill where he just sits back and, and he wants to watch the city. What's he watching for? Destruction. 
Yeah, he still wants destruction. Like just maybe, you know, maybe a meteorite will fall out of the sky and destroy him. Maybe a volcano will blow. But he's just hoping, you know, somehow, some way that these people still get Remember, he hates these people. He hates these people. And he really wants to see it all destroyed. And he's mad at God besides. So Jonah goes off, stomps off like a toddler to pout. He finds a place up on the hill where he can see just in case they get destroyed. And, and there he lays. Now understand, Jonah's no longer talking to God. He's not on speaking terms. He's mad at God. But God still loves Jonah. And God's not finished with Jonah. And God's going to work in Jonah's life. God loves to use Jonah, work through Jonah, but God's still working in Jonah too. Jonah's got some issues in his heart. God's still working on the man's heart. So notice what happens. This is just so amazing. So Jonah goes out to the east side of the city, made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God, verse 6, the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. Now, uh, arranged is the word I want to call your attention to. It's, it's one of the most important words in the book of Jonah. It's the same word used back when it says, and the Lord God, verse 17, chapter 1, arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, the word there, I think the King James word is probably appointed. God appointed a fish, God appointed a plant, God appointed a worm, God appointed a wind. It's that idea of, of commissioning. God takes something and brings it in to accomplish his purpose. He, he appoints, he arranges for, he commissions. Now notice he also commissioned a prophet, but that didn't go well. The only thing in the whole book of Jonah that will not do God's will is Jonah. So notice, three in a row here, God appoints. God commissions a plant. God commissions a plant to grow over and spread its broad leaves over Jonah's knucklehead, shading him from the sun. This eases discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, this is what I mean. His mood swings are pretty fantastic. Because a minute ago, he was saying what? Just kill me. Just kill me. I'd rather be dead. If living looks like this, I'd rather be dead. But then now he's found his happy place up on a hill with a view, with the shade. And all of a sudden Jonah is just happy as he can be, y'all. He's comfortable. He's in the shade. He's got a, a nice view of what might be destruction. You never know. You know, so he's just kicked back. He's happy. All of a sudden he's happy. But then, verse 7, God also arranged for a worm. I love this. God arranges for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Isn't that great? You've always heard in Sunday school the, the great story of Jonah and the fish, but we never do Jonah and the worm. Jonah and the worm. The worm the next morning ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged, appointed a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. Now, this is a rare meteorological occurrence where a straight line wind blows on one person, you know. But God is the master of the wind. And if you'd been sitting behind, beside Jonah, it wouldn't have even blown your hair. You understand? God has a wind blow on Jonah. And it's what kind of wind? It's heat. It's a hot wind. Absolutely. So God causes wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint. And what? Wished to die. Like, again, Jonah would rather die than break a sweat. 
I mean, all of a sudden, the sun is shining on Jonah's widow head, and he's like, just, I wish I could die, you know? If I got to sit out here in this heat, I'd rather just be dead. Just kill me. Okay, but, but, but let's look at this. It, it sounds humorous, but notice what's happening here. Um, God is doing this. God is working in Jonah's life. Now, they're not on speaking terms because Jonah won't speak, but God is still working in ways that Jonah can hardly understand at this moment. And, and in God's uh, way of doing things, he gives Jonah comfort one day and discomfort the next. Strange? I mean, God does this. God gives him comfort one day and, and, and discomfort the next. Why do you think that is? I, I think it's a very simple principle, and I think it's something that you and I really, really need to absorb. And, and it's simply the truth that your comfort is not God's priority. Your faith is. Your comfort is not God's priority, your faith is. Now, this is why we struggle in relationship with God because for the most part, your comfort is your priority. You, you love comfort. You love a climate-controlled sanctuary, you know, where it's not too cold, not too hot, just right. I mean, that, 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 that's how you are. When you order a burger at a restaurant, you know, God forbid it be a little too pink for you or a little too done for you because you're going to lose your mind. I mean, you know, we, we really love things the way we love things, and, and, and we have a really hard time if anything interrupts our, our comfort, Let's be honest, and, and we want God to, to share that priority. You know, in, in all of the world, and in all of human history, in all of Christian history, there's really never been a, a group of Christians like Christians in the United States. But because of this, we love our comfort more than any other generation of, of, of people of God. And this is what makes us strange in the world's eyes, the world of Christians. Because for us, if, if anything bad happens, like at all, I mean, again, we're mad at God. Like if anything happens at all that interrupts our plan or our comfort, we're angry. And then we immediately go to prayer and we more or less demand that God remove it. Like whatever it is, it's got to be gone. It's got to be gone miraculously and instantaneously. And I want my life to be back exactly as it was before I had trouble. And if for any reason things don't go my way, then understand, you know, I may totally lose my faith in my mind. This is how we are. You know, if we get sick or if we have financial difficulty or problems with our children, I mean, we immediately go to God and we just sort of demand that everything be put back. We want everything put back. And I'm just wanting you to know that for the most part in the rest of the world, when Christians fall into hard times, they typically just simply pray that God will give them strength to endure. They accept trouble as part of life. And they recognize that God is the one who walks beside and gives strength to endure, which is kind of biblical, but that's not the way we think. We want comfort. We want God walking beside me, but not just walking beside me. I want him to, you know, fluff my pillow for me and make sure that I'm always, always comfortable and happy. And my happiness is always connected to my getting my way. Now understand, these are not God's priorities for you. 
your comfort. Jesus said plainly, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And so when you have trouble, it doesn't mean God has singled you out and, and he is now blowing up your life. No, no, no. It's just that's how life is. It's full of trouble. And God will use circumstances in all the ways God will in order to accomplish his higher priority for your life. But it's not necessarily to make sure that you stay comfortable. So understand, your comfort is not God's priority. Your faith is. At all times and in every circumstance, what God is doing is not trying to restore your comfort, but rather to strengthen your faith, to build your faith. Because God knows that without faith, it is impossible for you to know him, to please him. I mean, it's just plain. Faith is our means of relationship with God. So what is faith? Let's go back to basics. What is it? Well, in the Old Testament with Abraham, it was, it was friendship with God. Abraham walked with God. They, they, they walked as, as friend with friend. It's, it, it's a friendship. It's a relationship with God. I think often we try to just sort of shrink it down to, to believing. Um, or even worse, we shrink it down to just positive thinking. So for most of us, and, and I'm challenging some of you, I think some of you probably think this way. You just think that faith is like positive thinking. So like, I, I believe that good things are gonna happen to me. And so therefore I refuse to uh, doubt and I refuse to think that, that good things won't happen for me. So uh, right now I'm praying that God will give me a good parking place at the mall. I want a good parking place right by Lifeway. And, and right now in the, in the name of Jesus, I claim it, a, a good parking place and, and, and Satan, I rebuke you. You will not make me walk, you know, 50 extra feet. You know, I'm claiming a good parking place. I mean, and, and so a good parking place, this is what we do. It's just like positive thinking. I'm going to get a good parking place, you know. Um, it, it's positive thinking. So if I need healing, if I just believe enough, if I just believe, 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 you know, so no matter what the doctor says, I still believe I'm healed. You understand? We, we just make it like positive thinking. Or I would say magical thinking. It's like magical. Like as long as I only think happy thoughts and I don't allow any negative thoughts in, then that's faith. But I'm telling you, that's not in any way, shape, or form what the Bible calls faith. It's not positive thinking or even positive confession, as some say. That's not what faith is. Scripture says Abraham believed God. Abraham, because of his faith, was justified and and what did that faith look like in his life? Well, when God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your country and go to the land that I will show you, what did Abraham do? He left the country that he knew and he went to the land that God would show him. So, so basically I would say it this way, faith is seeking after God with your actions and behavior. Now, it's certainly believing in God. I'm not saying that it's not. But, but, but because of your belief, then you begin to live differently. You, you act differently. You obey him. Jonah clearly believes God, but he won't obey God. You understand? It, it, it's a faith problem because faith isn't just affecting the, the thoughts that you think. Faith affects the way you live your life. It's a friendship with God. It's seeking after God with all of your heart, with, with all of your actions and behavior. You, you with me? So when Abraham believes God, he answers God's call with his feet, not just his head. So God is not put priority on Jonah's comfort, and that is why one day it's comfort, the next day it's discomfort. 
As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, one more time, is it right for you to be angry because of a plant? Jonah, it's a plant. A plant. Jonah, it's a plant. Is it right for you to get to get all this, you know, all attached, you know, like your heart is breaking and Jonah, it's a plant. Did I mention that it's a plant? A plant. What's Jonah say? Now Jonah's talking back to God because now Jonah's asked the question that he just wants to answer. Is it right for you to be angry about a plant? And Jonah says, yes, 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 angry enough to die. I would die for that plant. I love that plant. (laughs) Understand, It, it seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous. And then you get to God's response. What does God say? It's, it's amazing. You, uh, you have compassion. That's the word that's used. You weep for a plant. You have compassion for a plant. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly, died quickly. But listen to God, verse 11. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Again, the Hebrew there says 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left which is an interesting way to say anything. Nineveh has 120,000, the Lord says, who don't know their left from their right. We know that we're talking about people in spiritual darkness, so that's, that's obvious. And the New Living Translation just says 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. But you know, some scholars, and I kind of lean this way, would think that God means something more specific. Like what kind of people don't know their right hand from their left hand? Like, like who doesn't know their right hand from their left hand? And the only real answer is children. Children. And Nineveh is, is, is a great and populous city. And, and so it would easily have had 120,000 children perhaps. So it could be that God is saying, Jonah, you have compassion for a plant. You have strong feelings on a plant, but then here's this city with 120,000 children lost and and bound for destruction, and, and you don't seem to understand that I care for them. It's it's a strange moment where Jonah's heart just is on display. Because you recognize that uh, his heart is not aligned with God's heart. He doesn't seem to care about the things that God cares about. Do you see that? And if you are going to be a person of faith, if if you're going to say that you belong to this God, then understand your heart must break with the very same things that break God's heart. Your heart lines up with God's heart. So that means God loves the world. God cares that people are dying, lost, and going to hell. And therefore, you would care. You would care. So when God says, I need you to go, I need you to leave your home and go tell them, that means that you wouldn't be so happy just to stay at home. We've all been told to go, and yet, let's just be honest, we've all stayed home. We've all stayed home. And so God here is just trying to to cause Jonah to see something about his own heart. You care about a plant. You care about a plant. So 
Jonah, what is it that you care about? It's, it's probably not a plant. It's possibly an iPhone. I mean, we kind of laugh like, oh yeah, of course, but, but iPhones now cost $1,000 and you worship your phone. I mean, worship. I mean, like if you walked off without your Bible, you might not even miss it. Honestly, some of you walked off without it and you haven't missed it in years. We have an entire shelf of lost Bibles at this church, entire shelf of lost Bibles. And like some of you, like it's a nice Bible, with, you know, all leather and your name's on it, you know, but it's going to sit back there forever because it's going to be a long time till you miss it. But if you left your phone at home, you'd break out in a sweat. You'd probably be late to work, right? It's like, I can't go without my phone. Y'all, I did it this morning. This morning. I left home and thought, oh, no, I don't have my phone. I thought, should I go back? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to talk on it. I'm going to preach. You know, like, I'm not going to obviously check my messages while I'm talking to you folks, you know. But still, there's this part of me that's like, but, but I want to be with it. I mean, you know. I want it to be with me. You know, th that's a problem. Th that sounds like an idol more than a device. But let's be honest, we love things like that. I mean, some of you love, you love your giant screen TV. I mean, you don't even like golf, but you watch golf because it's just so green. You can see blades of grass moving in the wind. You're just thinking, oh, I love this television. I love this, yeah, the crazy surround sound. Man, we live lives our grandparents couldn't imagine. Your grandmother wouldn't have laid in a tanning bed for nothing, you know? Your grandma would be like, why don't you just work? Why don't you just go outside and work? But, you know, I mean, she would never understand you, you, you know? We love, love our comfort. We love our comfort and we love things. We love our houses. We love the new house we're building. We love the new kitchen we're remodeling. Oh my goodness, we love our furniture. We love stuff and we love our stuff. We love our family. Don't necessarily love other people's families, but we love our family a lot. We love animals. Oh my goodness, some of your animals live better lives than people in other countries. Not a joke, not a joke. It's weird, it's weird, it's weird. Some of you talk more to your dog than to your wife. That's weird. It's just weird. I'm not making jokes, you all. Jonah loved a plant. It broke his heart when the plant died. He wanted to die over a plant. And God says, Jonah, Is this even right for you to be this attached to a plant? And yet, there's a city with 120,000 kids facing destruction, and you don't care one thing about them. And that's it. Boom. That's the end of the book, y'all, right there. Boom. That's the end of it. Some of you, last week, you confused. We had a guest preacher, so I didn't preach last week. And some of you are like, you're going to finish Jonah, aren't you? Because some of you read ahead and it's like, okay, that ending is very unsatisfying. That's not a good ending. Like you're following Jonah through all of this. It's like, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Like God says something so awesome. I mean, that's great of God. You know, is it right to be angry? 120,000 people, shouldn't I care? I mean, don't you want to know what Jonah says next? I mean, some of you were like, if you're not going to do Jonah chapter 4, I'm leaving this church. You, you got to tell me what happens in Jonah chapter 4. I'm telling you, that's where it ends. Right there. But why? Why? 
This is actually something that the Bible does several times. So it's not the only time it does this. And uh, I happen to think that God always knows what he's doing with his word. So like um, another example would be John chapter three when, when a man comes to Jesus by night and his name is Nicodemus. And Jesus has this long conversation with Nicodemus that, that night in the dark. And Nicodemus is the first man on the planet that hears the phrase, you must be born again. But he hears it from Jesus. Like Jesus is sharing the gospel with Nicodemus, and it's amazing. So Jesus tells him about being born again, and it blows his mind. And Nicodemus says, like, how can I crawl back up in my mother's belly? And Jesus says, no, it's not like that at all. And they talk about being born again. And then Jesus, Jesus says the words. I mean, it's John three sixteen, but it's red letters. Jesus is the first person that ever says John three sixteen. And he says it to a man named Nicodemus. And Jesus looks Nicodemus in the eye and says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, Jesus just said John three sixteen to Nicodemus. I want to hear Nicodemus get saved. I want to know what Nicodemus says next. But John chapter 3 just skates right on. It's like, don't leave me there. What happens to Nicodemus? What happens? And, and the Bible does that. You're, you're like in a story, like the story of Jonah. And, and you got Jonah in the spotlight. So you're standing there behind Jonah the whole time. And Jonah's doing all this crazy stuff and hard-headed. And, you know, he gets swallowed by the whale, spit up, comes back out, preaches, gets mad. The bush, the worm, the wind, all of that. And, and then at the end... God says this to him, and you're thinking, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? But in that moment, the spotlight's on Jonah, but Jonah just steps aside. He just steps aside. And I was standing behind Jonah in the story going, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? And then all of a sudden, when Jonah steps aside, who's in the spotlight? All of Jesus' parables work that way. It's like you step into the story and then all of a sudden it's like a door closes behind you and you didn't know about that. And then all of a sudden, like the truth, like those cartoons where the truth falls out of the sky like a piano, you know, it's like all of a sudden you realize, wait, you know, this is about me. You want to know why we don't really get to the end of Jonah's story? Because maybe it's not Jonah's story we're telling Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you that God tapped on the shoulder and you decided to run. Maybe it's you that keeps running from God, but everywhere you turn, you keep running back smack right into him. You know, maybe this is you. Maybe it's you that, that, that escapes into the boat with the sailors, but the storm comes and, and those storms of life continue to rack and shake you, but, but you just continue still to be stubborn. You, you get cast into the sea and you sink and God lifts you up and you sink and God lifts you up and you sink and God lifts you up and God gives you a chance after a chance after another chance and you continue to burn through all of your chances but nothing ever changes with you, hard-headed. And you see signs of God's mercy, God's love, but it never comes to good news to you because honestly, if it's not good news for you, it ain't good news. If, if it disturbs your comfort, if God asks anything of you that would cause you to have to like, you know, step out outside your comfort zone, you don't want anything to do with it. I mean, just maybe, just maybe it's you that keeps getting swallowed whole and spit up by life. Maybe it's you.
And so maybe the reason we don't get to the end of Jonah is that we haven't seen what you're going to do yet. We don't know what you are going to say. We don't know what you're going to do yet. Just one more thing. Um, how did we get this story in the first place? I mean, I know it's the Bible. It's inspired by the Spirit. But how do we get this story? Think about it. It's not like anything else in the, in the Bible. And it's certainly not like any of the other prophetic writings. It's, it's not like anything else. Man, this is, this is so, so personal and, and bizarre. But honestly, you know... Jonah's ministry as a prophet in the court of the king, we have a record of that because that was public. It was public, and so you can document that. He was in the court of the king, and it's documented publicly. But, but as soon as Jonah runs from God, man, he's off the radar now. He's, it's not public. This is private now. This is Jonah and God. There's only one person in the whole world who could tell you that, you know, after he ran from God, he went and bought a ticket to Tarsus, paid the whole price, and got on a boat. There's only one person in the world that could tell you that story. And then when the storm came and all the pagan sailors were praying to every god on the planet, uh, he was asleep in the bottom of the boat. There's only one person in the world who could tell that story. And then when the sailors pitched him overboard and he sinks down into the water and the seaweed wraps around his head, that's a, that's a detail that only one person could tell you. Only one person could tell you what he prayed in the belly of the whale. Only one person on earth could tell you about that prayer. Only one person on earth can tell you what happened after Jonah left Nineveh. When he sat up on the hill, tried to die, then tried to live, and then tried to die again. Only one man can tell you about the bush and the worm and the wind, and then what God said. There's only one person in the world that could tell us this story, and who is it? It's Jonah. So why would he tell this story? This story makes him look horrible. I mean, if you're telling a story about yourself, maybe not throw in the part about how you hated most everybody. Maybe throw out the part, I mean, if you're trying to be a prophet of God, throw out the part about where you like rub it in God's face that he's merciful and compassionate. None of this makes him look good. Throw out the part where you throw the little pity party, the little tantrum and try to die on us. I mean, why would he include all of that? Why does he include all of these parts of the story that make him look despicable? Why would Jonah tell a story like this at all? Well, I have grown up in church. I've grown up around people who have experienced the, the power of Jesus to change a heart. And so I've heard stories like this all my life. In church, we call them testimonies. And when you tell your testimony, very often you say, this is what I was like. This is the man I used to be. And you're honest about that because you want people to understand that this is what I used to be so that you can be able to say, but this is what God has done in me. And this is who I am now. I think the only reason Jonah would have ever told this story later is so he could say, this is who I used to be. This is what God has done for me. This is who I am now. 
So let's make no mistake. Um, there's a great miracle in the book of Jonah. It is not the whole fish thing. That's not even the point of the story. Some of you said, Pastor Tim, I know you're preaching through Jonah. Have you read those? Have you ever Googled those stories about people have been swallowed by whales? I mean, like, y'all been telling me all about them, so like Google it if you haven't. I mean, they're out there. This happens. Like people in whaling ships have fallen overboard and then they catch a whale three days later, cut it open and you know, <laughs> ta-da, somebody pops out. It's like, what? I mean, people have been swallowed by whales. They popped out, and according to the stories, like the digestive juices of the whale bleached their skin white. So, you know, people say, like, Jonah could have been bleached white, and that's why everybody responded. It's like, you know, whoa. Because, you know, like, it comes out, you know, glowing white, you know. Uh, so, again, that, I guess that could happen. Rarely, it's weird, but it could happen. That's not a miracle. That's not the miracle. The miracle of the story of Jonah is not the story about the fish. The miracle in the book of Jonah is the story of a God who can transform a man's heart like this. The power of God to change your life, your heart. And I'm just telling you, if God can do this for Jonah, God will do this for you. But you have to give him your heart. Pray with me. Oh God, some of us are hard-hearted, hard-headed people. And God, we claim to have faith and we claim to follow you, Lord, but the truth is we mostly follow after whatever it is that's gonna give us the most comfort in our lives, Lord. We love money. We, we just love getting our way. We love being thought well by other people. We love a job that pays us well, that doesn't make us work very hard, Lord. We love a place in the shade. We love a church we can go to and have a good Sunday morning, Lord. We love to follow that up with a really nice Sunday lunch, Lord. We just honestly love ourselves a whole lot more than we love you and certainly more than we love the world, God. But, but we know that you want something different for us, that you have a different purpose for us, that our comfort, our staying at home, Having a nice life, Lord, that's not why Jesus came and died. So, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to soften our hearts, whatever it takes to build our faith, Lord, whatever it takes to make us to be the men and women that you have meant for us to be, Lord, whatever it takes to make us learn to care about other people, Whatever it takes to make us bold in, in sharing the message, whatever it takes, Lord, to, to make our eyes our focus, Lord, not to be on ourselves, but on you, Lord, on the world, Lord, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, Lord, we just want to place our lives in your hand, Lord. Whatever it takes to make women and men of faith and obedience out of us, Lord, then let it be. Lord, we want everything that you want for us. And by our stubbornness and our disobedience and our... Uh, Complacency, Lord, we have missed so much of what you intended for us to have, Lord. Let the future be very, very different from the past, or let us not be the person we are today, tomorrow. Lord, you and you alone can change us by the power that brought Jesus back from the grave. You can bring a new man out of this old man, me. 
So Lord, by your power, by your mercy, change our hearts. Change our hearts, Lord, and give us grace today to give you our whole heart. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.